0: What are you waiting for? Welcome to This Is Not A Dress Rehearsal Podcast. Stop holding your breath waiting for perfect conditions before you move through the world. Tune in for real stories of real people who understand the freedom to live well. Your host, Bonnie Sewell, is a veteran wealth manager with 12 grandchildren, helping clients over the last 30 years enjoy their wealth. You can listen to all podcasts at www.americancapitalplanning.com podcast, or subscribe wherever you get your podcasts.
1: Nikki Haas is a skilled IT process engineer with over 20 years of service management experience. She is also a certified PMP. ITIL V3 expert, and a Scrum Master. She has extensive experience in complete services lifecycle management, including requirements, gathering, service delivery, applications development, training, and service support. Primary industries her work serves include cleared federal government, healthcare, and retail. She holds degrees in German and business administration. Nikki is also the co-owner of Black Hoof Brewery, a family-owned microbrewery located in the heart of historic downtown Leesburg, Virginia. She happens to also be a certified sister-owned beer server. We'll learn more about that in our chat with Nikki. With an emphasis on traditional, true-to-style German lagers and European ales, Nikki and her husband Bill have produced several award-winning brews. Welcome, Nikki. Thank you, Bonnie. It's a pleasure to be here. I think your story will be interesting and enlightening to many, and women in particular. You have lived a blend of the cerebral and the creative, and you mix them effectively. I will not say effortlessly, because you're one of the hardest working women that I know. Can you tell us about your day job and how you ended up where you are today?
2: Sure. So, my day job is working with Microsoft as a senior customer engineer. What that means is that I help our customers with Microsoft's technical solutions. So, specifically, I focus on their Azure platform. Azure is Microsoft's cloud platform. So, I'm helping customers move to the cloud, especially as I mentioned, uh, focused in the federal space. And I think that you talked about me having kind of a combination of the technical and the creative. I think that really shows up in my work because I work in our modern service management practice, which means that I'm really focused on helping customers with the process and people side of things as opposed to just strictly focusing on the technology.
1: And i used a lot of acronyms to describe your work at the beginning of this uh, chat, but I want to go back and have you tell us what the heck is a PMP, what's an ITIL V3 expert, and what is a Scrum Master?
2: So these are all different certifications in my industry. So PMP, um, I do have a background in project management. So project management professional is what the PMCP stands for. It's a really fun 400 or so some odd question certification exam that you have to take. And I accomplished that several years ago. The Idle V3 Expert, so ITIL is short for Information Technology Infrastructure Library. It's a little bit older, the V3 is being retired. So people in the industry who are familiar with it will know that it's a certification though that focuses again on service management processes. So it's a pretty specialized area of IT. And then finally, the Scrum Master is something that's a little bit more in line with modern service management. Scrum masters are people who assist with the development of software according to the agile principles. So we're moving in IT from a more traditional model where there were lots of big servers that you had to maintain and all this, and we're moving more to an agile environment where you can spin up new services and systems very quickly in the cloud.
1: Well, I hope that all parents listening who have children who want to get involved in this kind of work will be excited by what you're sharing. But for girls in particular, I can't imagine, with my own background, having been a young woman thinking about being in technology. And today, in my 60s, I am so enthralled with technology. How did you come to
2: get into this work? Not directly, by any means. So (laughs) as you mentioned, I was actually a German major. I had a minor in business, but when I left school, I found a job with a small company that wanted somebody with foreign language and travel experience, which I had, but also somebody who could use a Macintosh computer, which I had done in school. So through that, working in that small company, I learned, realized that I had an affinity for and a, some skill with computers and technology. So they helped me to get additional training. And then I moved on from there to more strictly technical work, and then eventually consulting and project management management in IT. So that's how I got into IT where I am today. Today, I think if I were to go back to school, there are so many different ways to get into the IT industry and so many different types of specialties. So I mentioned that I focus on processes around service management. There are lots of different areas to focus, like databases or virtualization. There's a lot of very interesting stuff coming out now with artificial intelligence and machine learning. So for students today, and especially young women, I know Microsoft sponsors programs. Um, There's another one coming up called DigiKids that we're helping to preview and run through beta. So that's uh, something I look forward to involving my nine-year-old grandson in. Um, He also attends things like code ninjas. So there's there's so much out there for kids now. And Really, in work doing school from home, they're kind of required now to really uh, to be able to adapt to technology and to new ways of doing things. So
1: That's wonderful. Thanks for sharing that. That's going to really uh, just even those uh, couple of programs you named will be really interesting, I think, for people to take a look at and see what's coming up the pike. Like so many women, you have a lot of responsibilities, some that include extended family, your job at Microsoft, and you also have this very successful small business. I'm tired, you know, when I just think about all the things that you're doing. But I'd also love to hear all the things that you love about both places. So tell us just a little bit about, you know, how
2: do you get through a week? (laughs) It can be a challenge. And I know that I'm, uh, although we have a four generation household, I've got my elderly mother living with us. I have our, we are taking care of my nine year old grandson. So certainly some unusual challenges. But honestly, I have one child in the house and I don't know how mothers with more than one child do it. I just can't even imagine. So I think all women know that there is a certain amount of juggling that you have to do. You've got to kind of give yourself a break. Look at the successes that you have every day. Look at something to be grateful for every day because every day is going to have its challenges. Everybody has its challenges. Everybody has their own challenges, no matter how perfect they may look from the outside or from Facebook or social media. Give yourself a break, I think would be one thing. I'm also fortunate in the work that I do. Microsoft as an organization and as an employer really does focus on developing their people and acknowledging that their employees have a life outside of work. So certainly we've all been working from home. That's scheduled to continue at least through the summer. And there's been a lot of flexibility there in helping us to juggle some of these new responsibilities. And even prior to COVID, there's a lot of support that they provide for growing as a, an IT worker, but also growing as a person.
1: Well, let's put a fine point on that because whenever a company, especially when we hear it from their employees, does a great job of supporting families because the family is already here, the family's not going anywhere. And when employers can support our families, it really bears a big spotlight and a mention and a you know, way to go. Maybe other people should take a look and a page from what they're doing. Because one of the challenges you mentioned, you don't know how other women with more children do it. We hear this all the time from clients and they don't know how they do it. And it's not going well on a lot of days and there's health at stake and with the multi-generational households. But also having to work and then have this particular time period. So I really appreciate you focusing on that because uh, I think that, you know, an employer gets a much better
2: employee out of the deal. Wouldn't you agree? I agree. Yeah. And there's things that even, I mean, obviously Microsoft has a lot of resources. There are so many different things, um, especially having a child with special needs. There are a lot of resources that Microsoft offers in the in the area of special information for parents of children with autism, a whole library full of resources, and also access to professionals, and even small businesses, I think. I know that for our own employees, we do try to stay in touch. Fortunately, we're still small enough so that we know everybody. We know most people's family situations, and we try to be flexible and really just try to listen as much as we can to the needs of our employees.
1: I love hearing that. Well, lots of people dream about opening a microbrewery, especially in the last 20 years or so. And you and your husband, Bill, yeah, did it. Um, So tell us what led up to moving from the idea to the execution, because we did talk about this idea for a few years before you pulled the trigger.
2: Tell, Tell us about that. So Bill had been working in the field of water and wastewater treatment engineering, and Uh, He had uh, been doing homebrewing as a hobby, and he finally entered a competition. So he entered one of his beers into the competition for the American Homebrewers Association. And he had two medals at regionals, and then one of his beers that went on to the national competition won a national medal. Now, this was his first ever competition. so he he went straight to winning a national medal. And then a young man that he had helped get into home brewing, next thing we know, this young man is the head brewer at one of the other local breweries. so he that kind of stopped him in his tracks, I think, a little bit, and he thought, well, heck, if he can do this, then I certainly should be able to." And that's really when it started. So that was. Wow. Gosh, that was five years ago. We formed the corporation and then we started to get serious about finding a location. Uh, the location, we were fortunate, it hadn't even gone on the market, but our commercial realtor had was in the same office of our landlord on King Street. And we just kind of, we fell into that and, and haven't looked back since. So
1: well, I hear a few things that are important in there. It sounds like you were building a team along the way, and the team was quite helpful. And then I also know that you took some pilgrimages to Germany to tour microbreweries. And
2: so talk a little bit about that and what you learned there before you opened. Sure. I mean, as I mentioned, I was a German major. So logically, the place that we wanted to visit before opening the brewery was Germany. So this this goes back even Further back into our into the the founding of the brewery and the founding of the idea, so about ten years ago, we went to Germany. Um, as I mentioned, I'm a, a I was a German major in school, so it just made sense for us to go and visit. Bill had never been there, and we really fell in love with the small pubs that we visited while we were there. So we tried a lot of the different local brews. And if you go to our brewery in Leesburg today, you'll see that a lot of even just kind of the fixtures and things are modeled after what we saw in Germany. So the wood paneling, even the color of the walls. So all of these different fixtures and things that we looked at in Germany, we wanted to be a little bit different. And I'll, I'll be honest, too. Another thing that we did while we were developing ideas for the brewery is to visit a lot of the other breweries here in Loudoun County. So At the time, there were still about 20 or so breweries in Loudoun County. I think we have to be almost 40 now. It's really continued to grow. And it's a great destination for people who like microbreweries. So we have a lot of people who come from, especially since we won Best Beer in Virginia, slide that in there. So this past year. In August, every year, there is a the Virginia Craft Brewers Guild has their own competition. It's a very large competition. We've placed before, we've gotten a gold medal before for our Hefe Weizen. This year, we got medals, including a gold medal for our Dunkel, and that was the beer then that took best in show. So out of all of the breweries and all the beers in Virginia, ours was named the best of Virginia.
1: That is no small feat. And the beer is just delicious. It's really good. And it's a really good establishment. Uh, You guys adapted to COVID really fast and putting out. So we'll talk a little bit about that. But And winning awards is no easy thing. You've got to produce the great product. You've got to enter it. You've got to follow that whole process. And you've done it over and over again in a relatively short period of time. So kudos to the two of you for pulling that off. It's really uh, quite nice for Leesburg. And Loudon. Part of what we're doing in the second season is when we're talking to small business owners, sharing what is also most challenging. So you've hinted at that, but most people don't struggle with the dreaming part about opening some fabulous business, they struggle with the execution part. Uh, how did you and Bill overcome
2: some rookie mistakes? Caveat, first of all, we did make some rookie mistakes, but to avoid the really big ones, there were some specific things that we did. First of all, to go along with my German major, I did have a minor in business, so I had some business sense, and I really let Bill do the dream part, and I took care of a lot of the little details. So when it came to, just like I really approach anything that's new and sometimes a little bit scary, I read a lot. So there were several books that I read. Um, There was a good one, a lot of resources available through the Brewers Association, so each industry i know de- typically has its own association that you can join even if you are a brewery and planning they have special rates for brewers and breweries and planning so that's something to look at when you're starting any business is look at uh, the industry associations and then look at people who've done it before i mentioned visiting all of these breweries and putting to a little you know putting little boards together Um, another plug for technology, I have Pinterest boards for all different aspects of the brewery. But there were a lot of books that we read. So some of the founders of breweries that you'd probably recognize, Dogfish Head, Lagunitas, there's lots of of books that the uh, heads of those breweries have written. But probably the one that was most helpful was Jim Koch's Quench Your Own Thirst. Jim Koch is the founder of Samuel Adams Brewery, they also had a fantastic program called Brewing the American Dream, where they act, would actually go around to various cities, including D.C., where they had people from Samuel Adams come and talk about marketing, packaging, all these different aspects of the industry. So they, it was aimed not just at, at breweries, though it was aimed at food and beverage. So they would have these sessions and you could actually go and speak to people who had all this experience. So that was another invaluable resource that we had. So we we really tried to pull as much on all these resources that we had. Um, there's lots of information out on the web now where you can go and find. I found a spreadsheet of startup costs for a brewery. So I was able to plug our information in and it really helped us to And it it helped us with our business plan. And I know, too, that you were one of the ones who kind of took a look at our business planning and gave some feedback. So just, you mentioned building your team. You know, we were able to take that business plan to a potential lender. Our banker actually moved banks while we were in the middle of this, and we moved with him. So shout out to Jimmy Olufsen at Main Street Bank. They were really instrumental in getting our, uh, helping us to get off the ground and I also also know when you can't do it yourself, like know when to reach out for help. Don't be afraid to reach out for help. I have, I'm pretty good with math and accounting and stuff, but I just, I really ran out of time um, with everything else going on and realized that our accounting needed a lot more attention. So we found Wes Clark, who specializes in accounting for small breweries, and he's been all he's been great as well. So he handles handles all of our accounting now. So that's a big load off. The I don't
1: know if there's any substitute for a great CPA. <laughs> they are just invaluable. Well, let's talk a little bit about capitalizing a small business. You've touched on that with the Main Street Bank. And I think it's a wonderful tip to uh, actually share a name of someone who is engaged with the small business community and can make things happen. When we're capitalizing a small business, it's very dependent on what kind of small business we have. And in your retail establishment, you have a very different capital need than somebody in my own position or someone else's position. So what advice can you give to people? seeking capital?
2: I would say don't be afraid to ask. Don't be afraid to evangelize. So have the confidence in what you're doing. Have that belief. I have a lot of faith in the product that my husband was able to produce. So I would tell anybody who would listen to me. He accuses me of oversharing at times, but I would be like, oh, you're drinking a beer? My husband drinks beer. Do you want to learn a little bit more about, about the kind of beer my husband makes? Um, so, you know, it, uh, at the risk of being annoying and, and intrusive, I would just tell anybody who would listen what our plans were and what we were doing. Um, don't. It's not necessary to keep it a secret. I mean, you want some things to be fun and secretive and, you know, but... I was, I wanted everything out on social media. I really just, and people then, when they start to hear about things, and especially if they get in on it early on, they feel invested in it themselves and they start to believe in you as an organization. So, we've had support from the town of Leesburg, from even just the people who visit the brewery. We have interest as we look to expand. We've had interest from our close knit group of customers. Um, there is capital to be had, especially in Loudoun County, and it's just a matter of getting the word out and you know helping people to f- feel that ownership of your brand and, and making them want to participate in it. I think in Main Street Bank's case, you know, Jimmy and, and also I mentioned in, and also Matt Sapmeyer there, they are frequent customers. They enjoy the brewery seen in Loudoun County. So that certainly helps too.
1: Well, I think the other thing that's probably true is it's a fairly intimate relationship with a banker that you're asking them to uh, have faith in your business to lend money and they're counting on you to pay it back uh, with interest. And so isn't it true that someone seeking capital should expect to be transparent and work their tails off and the things that anyone in the position of lending capital would expect.
2: Absolutely. Yeah. Again, it's a matter of, and even, even these awards and things that I've been talking about, those are just things that will help you to prove yourself to potential investors and to help substantiate. So if, for example, as we're looking to expand We're looking at private investors as well as we're going back to Main Street Bank and talking to them about our plans. And they've been very supportive and they've let us know what they feel they can offer. So it's really about relationship building with these people. You know, if you can sit and talk about the financial part of it over a beer, even better. So that certainly works in our favor. Everything better
1: over a (laughs) beer. (laughs) <laughs> well, we are talking in the first quarter of 2021 and COVID is still with us. And I know that your small business is extremely responsive. I see all the social media stuff, but I also know the what you're doing internally to make sure your customers are safe and healthy while enjoying these great products. So how has COVID impacted the brewery?
2: Certainly there's been a significant impact, but we've been, again, very fortunate. We consider ourselves fortunate because of the support that we've had from our customer base. So a few things that we've done specifically. When things first started, so back in March, we did close for a short time to make sure that we had the time to evaluate how we wanted to move forward and what we wanted to be able to do to make our customers, and especially I would say our employees, make them feel safe and make them feel that They weren't putting themselves at risk by coming into the brewery. So when we reopened, we started first with growler fills, meaning people could come and we would provide the 64-ounce growlers. Actually, now in the state of Virginia, we're allowed to fill up to 128-ounce growlers. But our standard is a 64-ounce growler that they could take home and enjoy at home. And we still do that. That's something we've always done. But that was what we started with when we first reopened. We then also did a lot of focus on outside options. So we had a few patio tables out front before, and we kept with that. The town of Leesburg then started uh, closing down the streets on Friday and Saturday evenings, and then Sundays as well. So that helped a lot, it helped us to expand some of our area out front. And then we worked with our our landlord and the town of Leesburg to get approval for a large tent in the back. So the increased circulation through the tent makes it for a safer environment for our customers. And even inside the brewery, we have a um, hydroxylator air cleaning system that helps to Provide better air quality, and also, of course, the things that we've always done in terms of disinfecting and sanitizing.
1: I know everyone will be so pleased to hear everything that you're doing there. And I will jump on the town of Leesburg as well, because I'm so pleased to live here. I grew up in a small town outside Chicago like Leesburg. And I think Leesburg and Loudoun County are so supportive. And I love the way that they're trying to move into the future and doing it effectively by closing those streets. I'm not 20. I love going down there and having the walk of the place. So I think that you're right. That's another uh, just benefit of being around here. So I'm going to switch gears a little bit. You're part of a blended family, as am I. We always joke that blending families is not for the faint of heart. What have you learned? And because of our work in this area, what can you share with people? What have you loved about that particular transition?
2: Just like when we started the brewery, when I first was facing the thought of becoming a stepmother, I did some reading. There was a book out there called The Good Stepmother, as opposed to The Wicked Stepmother, I guess. And I just, it helped me to understand. I mean, I was only 25 when I became a stepmother. That's five years ago. So yeah, Yeah, that that was a long time ago. So yeah, it was, I had no idea, of course, what I was getting into, but I loved seeing my kids grow up and I think the most rewarding thing has been for me to see them become adults and go out on their own. So it's they're both still nearby. My stepdaughters in Winchester and my stepson is in Ashburn so we're happy to have them nearby. And our my stepson's actually working with Bill in the brewery now. So Oh nice. How that's wonderful. exciting.
1: That's great news. Well, now technology is everywhere today. And what technology do you depend on in your Microsoft job, which I'm sure is, I'm actually curious if it's more basic than I'm thinking of. And then, you know, what technology are you still waiting for in your business and your life? And also talk about that in the brewery as well, please.
2: There's a lot of technology that we depend on every day. I think that, yeah, sometimes it is really the basic tools, email. I mean, that's a big part of, of what we do a big part of how we communicate. With COVID, of course, Microsoft Teams is essential for us. It's a secure platform through which we can communicate with all of our customers, including our customers in the federal space. So that's absolutely critical for day-to-day. I think through, in my personal life, I am a big list maker. So I'm a very linear thinker and I have to. You know, I have a lot of to-do lists going. I've read David Allen's book, Getting Things Done, and he advocates this a specific process, and that is definitely very appealing to me. I have to say that some of the technology that I'm still waiting for kind of revolves around these to-do lists, and I think that there's I'm still kind of bouncing around between different, like Microsoft To Do and To Doist, and just waiting for some better integrations with, we have a Google Home app, and that isn't always quite as seamless when you're working between different platforms or different manufacturers. So still looking for some things there, but uh, that would probably be the one technology that I'm still waiting for is is a better to-do list.
1: That's interesting. i use to-do lists, but I don't use a lot of software for them. Um, so I'll have to look into that. For me personally, I'm I, my grand, a lot of my grandkids are in other cities or in, in some cases around the world a little bit, but I'm waiting for uh, the chance to be able to play on a game console with uh, from my living room to theirs, which I think is probably even available. I just don't have the technology, but.
2: Yeah, I don't know. I know that one thing that gets me points as a grandmother is, uh, working for Microsoft, who makes the Xbox, of course. So so I get, and Microsoft owns Minecraft. So for a nine-year-old boy, that's a big deal. So he likes that I'm able to get discounts and ultimate play passes and all that stuff for him.
1: That's neat. I'm curious too. I've noticed that in the brewery, you have board games and some, I think, puzzles and different things. It's family-oriented, which might strike some people who are not familiar with European styles of enjoying an adult beverage and around the world. But why do you have them there? And what have you noticed about the difference in enjoying an adult beverage and getting up and going home after also a delicious pretzel, I might add, versus um, the overconsumption of alcohol that sometimes takes place?
2: So I think the... We always knew going in that we were going to be a family-friendly brewery, and that is a conscious choice that we made. Not every brewery takes that approach, and I can understand that. As an adult, when you go out to relax and have a beer, you don't always want children running around. But for us, I think this idea of being part of the community and really being almost like a living room for the community, a place where people can come and gather and a place where people can feel comfortable bringing their children. That's really what our goal was, especially when you look at the town of Leesburg and the parades that we have. It's really so much fun, especially for the Fourth of July parade. You know, you have the kids out sitting on the curb and then the dads sitting behind our little cordoned off area, enjoying a beer. And then the mom is inside with the babies (laughs) enjoying the air conditioning. So it's, you know, it was always a lot of fun to enjoy those types of celebrations with the community. And I think that's why we've really focused on being more family friendly. And as we look to expand, we're looking at opportunities even for having more options and more types of fun experiences for the whole family.
1: Well, I love the idea. I really do. And the execution is everything because uh, my children are long grown and I'm loving my adult only experiences, especially when other people's children are involved. However, when people watch their kids and keep it an adult experience uh, with the kids having their own generally appropriate activities where you are, it's a fabulous thing to be able to get a break with the family safely and fun. So I love the idea. I'd love to see it expand. Switching gears again, we think many, if not most, conversations eventually lead back to money in some way, good or bad, on the topic, whatever it is. And at heart, I know you are a saver. You have a saving mentality and that's what we're always looking for in clients because without it, the best plan isn't going to get executed. But what's the most confounding part of money that you're still trying to understand? I think
2: that... The stock market was always a bit of a, I don't know want to say mystery. I don't know if I would say confounding as much as it really didn't interest me that much. I think that I'm confident in the investments that I have, but I really don't, it's kind of like set it and forget it. I was gratified early in my career when I first had my 401k. I actually uh, was living in North Carolina and worked with a financial advisor similar to you. She wasn't really focused on getting me to buy certain stocks. She was just a fee uh, only advisor. And I brought my portfolio to her and I said, you know, I just wanted to see how I'm doing. And she's like, she had, uh, she looked through my portfolio and she said, these are all the same stocks that I hold. She's like, I have the same company that I work with. And she said, I have, these are all the same ones that I hold. She says, You don't need to change anything. So since then, I felt more confident in the investments that I make. And really, it's just a matter of looking at charts and being able to read the charts and see, okay, historically, how has this particular stock or this particular mutual fund, because I do focus on mutual fund, how how has this mutual fund performed? And really then not worrying too much day to day. As you always tell us, there's going to be peaks and valleys and volatility. That's what the market's all about. And really just try not to get too wrapped up in in day, uh, I'm not a day trader by
1: by any way. Thank goodness, we have a lot of those in COVID. And I'll tell you what, COVID is like the one time in my 30 years of doing this that uh, I might say, I don't know where the valleys went or seem to be all peaks. weird, but in any case, there's other, the other thing that you bring up that I think is so important for young people to hear is there's lots of ways to invest. I'm thrilled that you started off with a fee-only advisor, what we consider the pinnacle of the advising community. That's what we are as well. A lot of people graduate to that after being burned by uh, somebody else, but so I'm thrilled you started there, but you're also a great example of other kinds of investment. You've invested in yourself. You've invested in a small company that will become an asset and also pay your bills, and you have invested in the markets. So a lot of ways to think about investing that is much broader than I got to hit it big with the stock. So thanks for sharing that. When did you first become aware of money, and what do you wish you'd been taught about money as you were growing up?
2: I will give all the props to my father for my understanding of money and even just my analytical brain the way my mind works is like i mentioned very linear so money was never a big mystery for me growing up i would see my dad every month sit down with his adding machine and his little metal box and he was very meticulous about balancing his checkbook and he didn't trust computers he i don't think he ever used a computer in his life so in that way we're very different i'm very dependent on on computers especially around money and and keeping track of my finances. I use a cloud-based system, YNAB, you you need a budget and I use that for keeping track of everything. So in that way, I think I'm following in his footsteps and hopefully he'd be proud of how I've handled things. And I'm not quite as careful as him. He was part of the greatest generation, lived through the depression. So I think that has something to do with it for sure. But really that he Provided me with a solid foundation of understanding how to balance a checkbook, how to be smart with money. He used to get magazines, Money Magazine. I remember him subscribing to Money Magazine when I was little, so that I and I even would pick it up and read it. And uh, so it was, I was fortunate there. Well, I love
1: that he shared it in the household because seeing it keeps it less mysterious, and that's probably one reason for your early confidence, which we still see today, which is just great. So, Nikki, you have been living a lot of life every day, if for no other reason than all the responsibilities you carry. What story can you share with our listeners about how you know that this life is not a dress rehearsal for something else?
2: When I hear the word dress rehearsal, it takes me back to when I was growing up. I took dance lessons from when I was, I think, before I was five years old. So, very familiar with dress rehearsals and dance recitals. And dress rehearsals, you know, there's there's not that same pressure. You know that you can mess up or you can kind of have a do-over, but when it comes to the big show, there's there's no do-over. You've got to be ready. You've got to be prepared. And it's all the little things that you do leading up to that that really help you. So when you mentioned I've invested in myself, I think that that's something that I continue to do is to try to make my life and my family's lives, the best that they can be every day. So even looking back over this past crazy year, I think that's one thing that I tried to do when I had some of this extra time at home was to focus on how to make improvements in my own life. I've probably, I'm have probably i probably in better physical shape right now than I have been ever being fit at 50. I was kind of disappointed that I, you know, I turned 50 in March. So just at the start of COVID and I was not in good shape at all. And I was disappointed. I thought, oh, I was going to be fit at 50 and I blew it. And then I thought, well, wait a minute, I'm still 50. And I, so I gave myself a little bit of, of uh, grace there and was able to go back. And I, I walk almost four miles every day. And so that's been great. And also just when it comes to, you know, my own mental state. I think I really focused a lot on that and and tried to do again. (laughs) I do a lot of reading. There's a book called Solve for Happy by Mo Godot. G-A-W-D-A-T is his last name. And it's looking at happiness from an engineer's, an IT engineer's perspective, and how how he kind of takes it every day. Um he lost his son when his son was only 21 years old. But he still was able to get through that experience and still has a lot of joy in his life because of the, you know, some of these truths that he has explored for himself and that he shared through that book. So I think that that's, you know, those are some of the things that I've learned even in this, this my, <laughs> even in the 50th year of my life that really helps me just live every day the best that it can be.
1: Well, I suspect you'll be learning for the rest of your life. And I love hearing that uh, you're moving and you're enjoying fitness. I always feel like movement is medicine, and uh, especially if we can ever get outdoors to do it. So my last question really is, what dreams do you still want to make happen sooner rather than later? What's out there for you still?
2: I would like to travel again. I'm really eager for that. We were supposed to go back to Germany this past year, and of course that didn't happen So being able to travel more is probably one of the bigger dreams. With this new focus on walking and even hiking, one of the dreams that Bill and I have talked about, don't hold me to this one, but we're looking to, he wants to through hike the Appalachian Trail. So over 2,000 miles, take about six months. He's planning, this is a part of the 10-year plan. So I'll check in with you 10 years from now and let you know if we've if we've gotten to that point if you got there.
1: Yeah well that's that's amazing. We'll see. <laughs> well, I, I'm sure I have no doubt you'll do it. whether whether Bill comes along or not, I think <laughs> no And hopefully someday we'll get Bill on here to chat with us as well because I'd, I'd love to go a little deeper even into the actual fear since it's such a fun thing. Well, thank you, Nikki, for your time and your insights and your wisdom. We wish you continued health, happiness, and success. If you'd like to learn more about Nikki and the award-winning brews at Black Hoof Brewery, go to blackhoof.beer. Thanks, Nikki. Thank you. Have a great day.
0: This podcast and any related material is provided for general information and entertainment purposes only, and do not constitute accounting, legal, tax, investment, or other professional advice. For professional advice in any realm, contact the appropriate professional. We assume no representation or warranty, express or implied, for accuracy or completeness of content. We assume no responsibility for information contained in the podcast and disclaim all liability in respect of such information, but not limited to any liability for errors, inaccuracies, omissions, or misleading or defamatory statements. Links to external websites are provided solely for your convenience. We accept no responsibility for any linked sites or their contents. Use of this podcast and its content constitutes an explicit understanding and acceptance of the terms of this disclaimer.